Hey everybody, this is Bokin Akbar and this is the Details Podcast, episode number 8. Andrzej Tomic, what's going on? Nothing, it's episode 8. Okay. I'm going to leave that in, I'm yeah, just saying no. Yeah, yeah do it. <laughs> Um, it's been uh, it's been a while since we've done uh, um, the details podcast episode. Obviously, we do our Slovenian episodes uh, in between, um, but the last one we've done in May, and uh, we we were due to do another one in English, right? That is true. Yeah, yeah. We try to we try to fit in as many English English episodes as possible. Sometimes we can schedule guests quickly. Sometimes it takes some time, but um, we've done another one in English now, finally. So here it is. Um, in the last episode, in uh, number seven, we spoke with Dan Carlin, uh, American political commentator, and uh, he calls himself amateur um, historian. I would say he's a professional historian, by the way. Uh, when you listen to him talk about history and, and everything connected to it, I thought it was an extremely, extremely um, interesting conversation we had. Dan is an awesome dude who is... Um, running his own super popular hardcore history podcast and also podcast which is more political podcast called common sense uh Andrzej, it's been a while but i'm pretty sure you recall the the uh, the episode it was pretty awesome oh yeah one, one of the best we've done I yeah think. yeah um so thanks again to dan for taking his time um today the number of this episode is number eight and we have our guest lucas miller who is uh, adventurer, who is a, a filmmaker, who is a, a not a typical guy, even though he thinks he is. I, I think he's a, a much different dude than, than, than a lot of people that I know. The guy basically swims with sharks. Andre, any comment on that? No. <laughs> yeah, he swim. I think that's a sentence that can stand on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a free diver. He basically, with his crew, the Waterman Project, he basically goes underwater all the way out in the deep seas and basically swims with, swims with sharks. And they try to, um, you know, learn as much as possible sharks. They tag them with different, uh, uh, I don't know how they call them, probes or how they call them, and uh, trackers, and trackers, trackers, and um, basically trying to learn as much as possible this, about different species of sharks. And uh, I'm pretty sure we have a very interesting conversation ahead of us. Uh, I'm, I myself have a huge phobia <laughs> with sharks, so, uh, this is going to be a learning experience for me. Um, Andrzej, anything else you want to add besides the, the usual things that we got to talk about? Uh, no, well, the podcast is, uh, at the detailspodcast.com website. We're also in iTunes. So if you can leave us a review there, that'd be awesome. And that's pretty much all of the admin. So okay. I'm ready right. when you're ready. I'm ready. So, uh, let's start this thing. Okay, so we're here with uh, Lucas Müller, who is a adventurer, free diver, filmmaker, and probably a lot of a lot of other things. <laughs> Lucas, how are you? Thanks, thanks for having me, Loki. It's an honor. Yeah, no, you, you, you're welcome, and uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time. I uh, I have to say that um, 
First of all, I hope Joe Rogan is not going to be mad at me because I basically stole you as a guest from his show. Um, <laughs> because I saw you you and him were going back and forth on Twitter about you possibly being on his podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, it, obviously you would fit right in. I mean, with what you're doing and, and, your, and your job and your passion, I think it's... It's 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 simply amazing. Um, I don't wanna, I don't really wanna be describing you. I think you can do it better in your own words. So maybe you can describe yourself and tell everybody what you're doing and 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 you know and why you're doing what you're doing. Because I think you're. That's it. Yeah, that's very much it. <laughs> in my opinion, and I'll tell you tell you later why I think you're Bye. absolutely crazy. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, no, no problem. For sure, I'll I'll do an introduction. But uh, first of all, that interaction with Joe was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, obviously, he he's. I think he's one of the best when it comes to picking the guests and picking the topics. But um, you know, just just to just to be be one of those guys. I think he just sent him a clip, basically, right, about you and 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 the Waterman project, and then he just basically invited you on the show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is it's awesome, and I hope it happens. You know. And the the that's the beauty about the internet is that. Um, you know, there's always this slight chance that with Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you can you can grasp grasp the 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 attention of of somebody that outside of the internet you wouldn't be able to reach. And you know, I, I send out a small tweet, and I don't tweet a lot. I, I try to do more, um, but most of the time I don't have the time for it. And I just you know send out three um, random tweets at Joe and. And I turned off my phone and half an hour later, I look at my phone and it's just buzzing and Twitter is going crazy and, and all these discussions. And um, it was great. It was great. And, and, and hopefully we'll, um, uh, I've talked to Joe and hopefully it works out in October. But uh, I, I think he won't be mad at all that, that I joined your podcast. So All right. <laughs> I hope not. But um, yeah, can you take a minute or two and basically describe who you are and what you're doing because I think it's it's pretty impressive the things you things you do and uh, and how you do them yeah for sure um, actually I'm a I'm a pretty pretty normal guy uh, is how I see myself I'm from Germany uh, I grew up in a in a very uh, normal neighborhood uh, my parents uh, pretty uh, cool normal family I, I didn't have like a hard or problematic upbringing like a lot of people have and I was very fortunate uh, very privileged um, in you know the opportunities I had and and after my graduation after my school graduation I uh, you know I decided uh, I wanted to do something that suits my passion and um, because I had a lot of things uh, that interested me overall uh, and then I decided I, I want to work with uh, sharks and spend time in nature and it all it just went from there. And uh, right now I um, I'm a free diver. Um, I go on expeditions for the Waterman Project, which is a nonprofit organization in Switzerland. And uh, basically, what we do is um, we place transmitters and take samples of big, large predatory sharks. Uh, and other big marine animals that um, live in in very inaccessible locations or are very difficult to approach, and we help out scientists. And uh, I study biology on the side, basically, um, because I you know I want to learn the science part of it. But I'm always drawn more to the 
to the adventure side, to the field side, to the smelling the ocean and and be immersed in in the environment. And yeah, that's basically what I do. Uh, on the side, I do. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a filmmaker. Um, I'm able to capture underwater and top water scenes with the camera. Do some sound and um, edited a couple of sm- small documentaries and. Uh, we'll see how it goes from there, but right now, uh, that that that's what I do. So how 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 do you choose sharks? That's all I want to know. Because of all the animals, how how the hell do you choose sharks? Yeah, because because Lucas, because you said like, oh, you know, I'm studying biology, you know, and then here's sharks. I mean, it's not like you. The way you describe it is almost like you're talking about butterflies. You know, <laughs> like it's just so seems so, so simple <laughs> and so yeah harmless. I mean, why? Yeah, why sharks? Uh, why sharks? Um, I'd say it's it's been in my genetic code, um, to be honest. Um, when I was when I was three years old, I saw the first shark in a book, um, and soon documentaries followed. And my dad is a pretty crazy guy when it comes to that. Um, my mom uh, didn't let us watch TV channels where that was uh, advertising. We're not allowed to have any weapons as toys. When we were playing with little Lego um, toys, she'd always take away the guns <laughs> and the knives and the swords. Um, but my dad, he, you know, he had to, to, you know, be a pacifist to to satisfy my mom. But anytime he got the chance, he'd show us. Uh, t- National Geographic documentaries where lions were just ripping apart uh, <laughs> gazelles and crocodiles hunting um, and sharks, of course. And um, it, it was sharks. I don't know why. I, I have the first the first image I drew uh, of an animal was uh, was a shark. Um, and my mom showed it to me, uh, sent me the photo two weeks ago. Or something uh, it was pretty interesting and. Yeah, that that is pretty cool. When a person, you know, when you, I always look at it like that. When 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 you have an opportunity to do something that you love, you know, like especially if it was like a childhood dream or childhood passion that you maybe now you know even don't remember that you had, but you did. It's always really cool to be able to do that in your adulthood to do something connected with that because I think it's completely different when you have a chance to do that instead of doing a job that you basically hate. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, and I think. If you have something that touches you, that grabs your attention when you're young and you go back to it later and you pick it up as um, as a hobby, maybe as a side job or even as your main job, then it's different than when you're 25, 35 and you haven't found your passion yet and then you pick a random hobby or something to occupy your your time or to you know get over with the weekends and... What happened for me was I lost I lost track of the sharks. Um, you know, my dad he always took us out fishing and catching trouts and uh, spending time in the in the, in the woods. Uh, you know, our weekends were because my parents back then didn't have uh, a lot of money, a lot of means. So my dad and my mom they had to basically um, you know come up with fun, adventurous stuff to do. So. Uh, we were catching trouts with our bare hands at the age of five or six uh, in in rivers, lakes, uh, diving. Uh, but I kind of lost that passion when I was going into my teens. You know, uh, 
girls got more important, other things got more important. And I lost track of it. And after my graduation, that was when, you know, I I had to find something that, you know, I would study or do and I had no clue whatsoever. And I came across a website uh, that offered volunteerships in South Africa and you could work on one of those uh, cage diving tourist boats, you know, where they... Sounds great, sounds great, <laughs> sounds perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and and I, I saw that image of a great white shark and, and all the, I could smell the adventure. Uh, and I, I saved money for 12 months and I spent all that money on six weeks working with great white sharks in South Africa. It was a great adventure. And... From there, I think it was just a natural development and all things just fell into place. Once I knew what I wanted to do, then it was just natural from there not. But I mean, I mean, maybe it's a very basic question and you probably get asked this, asked this all the time, but aren't you afraid of sharks, <laughs> swimming with sharks? I mean, uh, I have to admit, I mean, for me, and I'm going to sound like a complete pussy now, but I'm, I'm, I'm completely terrified of sharks. And I'm not saying this because of you. I've always had that since I was a kid. And that's why I was so intrigued or so excited to talk to you about this because I have a huge phobia against sharks or how to say, you know, like I'm, I'm one of those people who, without joking, I swim maybe... 30, 40 meters away from the coast, max, like along coastline. I won't oh, go really? further. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, I'm super bad. Like my wife, even she laughs at me. She'll go like all the way out. I mean, I'm going to talk about Adriatic Sea here in Europe where we don't even have any, any, any big sharks or any <laughs> sharks. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You have great whites in the Mediterranean. Don't scare me, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like a great white will venture into the Adriatic from time to time, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That do. actually does happen. Oh, re- oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm going to start doing only pools <laughs> from now on. <laughs> no more. No more sea. But seriously, like I have this huge problem. Like it's just a mental block that I can't get over with. Like I, I if I want to do like a swimming practice, which comes great in, in my off season when I don't do basketball, for example, like I'll, I'll, I'll rather do pool when I do like laps up and down in the pool instead of going out in the nature, which is much better, which I would prefer. But I'm just so afraid of sharks. And I don't know how to get over that. Like, if you know a way, please let me know. Because even my wife is laughing at me when I can't get into the sea more than 20, 30 meters away from the coast. So that's that's interesting. Because uh, do, do you know how, when you were afraid of sharks? Uh, or what triggered that fear? Yeah, I think after I saw a Jaws movie as a kid. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> that that got classic. me, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that got me. Yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg keeps scaring people, basically. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but, but but talking about those movies, I mean, they definitely don't help, especially the Jaws movies, one, two, three, or whatever they were. I think they, they definitely, because they were such big hits, myself included, like they, they, they were able to maybe say, how to say, washed people's brains thinking into that sharks are really these mean, uh, you know, mean animals that all, all they want to do is rip apart people's bodies basically but correct me if i'm wrong like it's you know i know that it's complete opposite of that and you have a much much bigger chance of i don't know dying in a car crash than dying in by getting bitten by a shark right yes you're you're completely right i mean jaws uh it had a huge impact on how people perceive sharks and i think there's a few movies that can have such a profound impact on how we see the world, on how we see things. Um, 
And sometimes we underestimate the power of certain movies and, and media. I mean, uh, just the other day, somebody told me that after Top Gun with Tom Cruise and Val Kimmer uh, came into the cin cinemas and theaters, um, there was a 40% increase in enrollment in the Air Force in America. Yeah, oh, the Navy. Well, yeah, 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 I know yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, the Navy. And the yeah, Navy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was insane, you know. Um, so, so and that was probably because there's probably also because everybody everybody thought that you automatically like, automatically get that cool bike that you can ride when you're not in the plane, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, classic, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, yeah. Movies have a huge impact. I agree. And um, with with Jaws, you know, your generation, and I think uh, back then Jaws had a huge impact. It had not only a huge impact on how we perceive sharks, but also how we acted on sharks. There was a lot of people who who went out trophy hunting for great whites. And, you know, um, even, even today, uh, I think Jaws is part of the problem. Also part of the problem is that the media, um, despite movies, is using sharks as, uh, you know, a topic to generate views, to generate sales. Anytime there's like uh, a period in the news, uh, mostly in the summertime when there's nothing going on, like when there's not a lot of events happening or topics happening and you they run out the, the same stories over and over again, they'll go back to covering shark attacks because they know, you know, they, they'll sell, uh, you know, airtime. And it's become like a re self-reinforcing cycle. You know, it's become cool or a standard in the media to do that. It's a tool to go back to when there's nothing else going on or you're just not good enough of a journalist to to cover something and uh, this is a huge problem and it it especially for people like you people who already have a misperception or uh, a phobia of sharks then this feeds right into into that fear so you know i hear that from a lot of people that it's Jaws or it's the news or it's a movie. And um, what I tell you is that if you'd go on an expedition with us or you, you and I would go shark diving, then I promise you after 10 or 20 seconds, your entire perception of sharks, what you feel, what you think will be turned upside down. You'd be fascinated and your fear will turn into fascination within seconds. Yeah, that also happens if you watch Shark Week every year on Discovery Channel. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm serious. Like, Shark Week was always like proper documentaries on sharks without the whole sensationalism of, you know, shark attacks and stuff. And it kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm that serious. Like, that's what I, when I found out sharks were actually just, you know, a fish, like a large fish, basically. No, that for sure there's also, because I, I do watch a lot of, the, like, whenever I see a documentary about sharks, I'll watch it. And I have to say that there are some documentaries that, that at least... I think do a pretty good job with trying to introduce shark as a species in a good way, not necessarily as a, as a, as a natural, just a natural killer, you know? Um, but I was trying to say before, like, I, I believe what you're saying, Lucas, but I don't know if I'll be ready to jump in water knowing there's the sharks in there. This will be the hard part. Once I'll be inside the water, I think, you know, I, I know what you, what you were saying to, to turn this into, for fear, different into fa fascination, but God, like knowing there's sharks in the water, you have to push me in too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's know? it's the same with with everything. You know, everything you start with, um, 
uh, be it in climbing, be it in basketball, the first steps are always the hardest. And oh, it's true. It's true. I agree. To overcome a fear, once you take that first step, um, you know, it's it's half the way. Um, regarding Shark Week, I mean, uh, it's funny you, t you say that, that in comparison to the other media you've, you've seen, that Shark Week has been the most conservative and accurate depiction of sharks. Because from my experience... Uh, when I have seen great hammerheads in the Bahamas or blue sharks in the Azores or great whites in, in Mexico, uh, even Shark Week most of the time is a total sensationalism of what really sharks are like. Okay, I will qualify that, that the Discovery Channel when I was like 15 years ago was a very different channel. I will say that. Okay, that could be. Okay. It was a, a, much, a much better channel than it is now. Yeah. Now it's all people building bikes and fighting. That's pretty much the Discovery Channel. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and story, story, story yeah, words. And all of that and, crap. I don't know, so, ice, oh, yeah, ice, yeah. ice road trucker. Yeah. No, seriously, yeah. like Discovery <laughs> yeah. Channel 15 years ago was actually like a documentary uh, films channel. Like a lot of great stuff. Shark Week was an actual thing that made sense. Yeah. Yeah, what it is now? That's I don't I don't even watch it anymore. Honestly, like I just gave up. So yeah, I am I am complete complete agreement there. So yeah, yeah. T TV has changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And you 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 made a good point before, Lucas. It's, it's all about sensationalism. You know how to draw audience. It's almost like they don't care anymore. That like you said, Ange. Like 15 years ago, Discovery Channel was actually a great channel, because. It seems like they care more about the content, not about the numbers of people watching. Now it seems like it's all about how do we get the most people to watch our channel, and they they do it sensational. They do all these crazy things and people arguing and people fighting. And you know, if you look at like commercials for 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 some some TV shows they have, it's all like wow, boom, bang, like you know, all crazy stuff instead of basically showing. Uh, uh, shows that actually can teach you something like like it was maybe 10, 15 years ago, like you said, Andre. Yeah, I, th I think it's it's tiring. Uh, if, if, if you look at, be it the internet or TV, uh, there's a tendency to um, for sensationalism because you want to draw views, you want to have clicks, you want to have traffic. And um, I think it's, it's part of evolution of how we consume media. Uh, I think over the last... Five, six years, you know, everybody wants to produce the next viral video. Everybody wants to use social media and have 50,000 tweets a day. And I think at some point this will change. I think the more people are using social media and, and want to produce viral videos and want to be sens sensationalistic, the more people or at, at least a certain group of society will grow tired of this and will say I'm I'm sick of you know the 50,000s inspirational quote and blog about makeup or blog about uh, some person that wants to be the next famous blogger um, that you know there will be a demand for investigative journalism or in-depth blogging coverage um, and I think it's only a matter of of a couple of years until that market maybe manages to transition to the internet as well. We'll we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, ho I hope you're right. Uh, you're way more. Yeah, you're way more optimistic than I am on that. But yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like I, I <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm 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 
I'm in, I'm in between. Like, I hope that happens because there's just so much crap on the internet right now. It's crazy because everybody has access not just to see but to post things. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Or yeah. to or to or to or to modify videos or to modify photos or to Photoshop this and and adjust that and um you know it's, it's just simply too much yeah, at some point and i know what you're saying like at some point you just have enough like you know it's just it's just too crazy and i hope maybe if not the the, the our generation maybe like the next generation that grows up with this they're going to be able to like distinguish between like you said investigative reporting and what's good reporting and and what's not and and, and really hopefully being able to shut down this craziness that's going on on the internet every day but i think Anjek completely disagrees right Anjek? well not completely i just think that that's how it's always been it's just more people now are online that's pretty yeah. much it yeah like that 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 whole market for proper journalism has always been there it's just always been a way smaller market than the rest of everything that's in the media and that will always be the bigger piece of the pie like always that's how it's always been and I, so I, I i i hope that happens lucas but i, I think you're gonna be disappointed <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, I i agree with you that the the um the majority of people will uh want to consume easy media for sure um i think that it's always been a certain piece of the pie that wants uh, proper nature documentaries, that wants uh, investigative journalism and is not um, lazy to read 15, 20-page articles. Um, I think that the piece of the pie of those people that were, you know, that documentaries were made for and TV has, has dropped dramatically. But I see certain changes in, if you look at Netflix, for example, in the beginning, Netflix focused on on hit series, on comedy, on things that were really, really popular and not on niche markets. And now I'm, I'm starting to see there's more nature documentaries coming back, more, in, you know, that Netflix and other platforms see that there's still a market of people, be it on YouTube, be it um, people that have not, you know, access the internet for that content, um, you know, that they're starting to cater to that portion of society. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm probably too optimistic when it comes to the, the standard of journalism and, and media in, in, the, in the internet. It's, it's the Wild West in the end. Yeah, for sure. And and you know to go to go back to uh, to go back to what you're doing and what you're involved in. You said like you're doing also like a lot of filmmaking. Like the way, tell me tell me how 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 it looks like. How do you prepare yourself to like like the for example the video that I saw on the YouTube that you posted for the Waterman project. Is that your video? Is that whose video is that? Like the one that um, the one that you tweeted to Joe Rogan also. Uh, yeah, the, that's the, I edited yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really cool. I mean, it's a shorter video. It's like about four or five minutes, but it's it's really cool. Glad you like it. Glad you enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I showed it to all my to a lot of my friends and and my family. We were just watching it today. Also, ah, cool, man. Um, yeah, the way I mean, the way you're actually in, in in the water with sharks and all your all your coworkers. Um, but the the most impressive thing is about it is that you guys are like basically free diving. I mean. You don't see you don't see those big uh, oxygen tanks on your backs, and I mean, how does that look like? I mean, go getting up and getting you know catching breath and then staying for the water in, in, in the water. How long? Like, how does that all 
you know, go. Because once you're on the water, you can see what's going on. But when you're not, it's difficult to see what's, what's underneath you, you know? Um, free diving is one, for me, it's, it's one of the coolest sports and activities you can do. Um, as I said earlier, I've tried a lot of sports. I've tried a lot of different things. And when I started to do free diving, I, I found what I was looking for. And basically what freediving is, is you, you hold your breath and you dive. And then when you can't hold your breath anymore, you go back up. And, you know, it's, it's diving without the oxygen tank. And, you know, most of the people that I meet and that I talk to about diving say, wow, that's, that's incredible, that's dangerous, that I could never do that. Um, the funny part is that we all... We all humans have a history of diving. We have something called the mammalian dive reflex that when our body hits the water, we have uh, our skin uh, detects that there's water around us. And immediately uh, when you are in a certain state of mind, your heart rate drops, which is an indicator for now you're consuming less oxygen and you're preparing to die. And the reason we're free diving or that uh, Fred and, and Will, my two colleagues, um, or mentors, um, the reason they started free diving with, with sharks and developing to, to tag sharks on, on free diving, on breath hold diving, uh, in comparison to scuba diving, and I scuba dive myself, is when you scuba dive, you do the Darth Vader sound. You do the typical... Mm-hmm. Now, now imagine that sound underwater. You're a shark. You're swimming around the reef. You're looking for fish or a nice lady shark. And somehow, you know, five divers drop down. Huge silhouettes coming down from the sky. All doing this noise and wailing with their fins and bubbles everywhere. You will cause a reaction in the environment. Fish will go away. Sharks will leave the area, which, which to most people is ironic because they have that image of, you know, the sharks come and, and they hunt you and they swim around you. If you scuba dive on a reef where there's sharks, uh, I promise you that if you see sharks, that's probably only 10 or 20% of the sharks that live there because they're scared and they, they go away. Oh, okay. That's basically why we free dive with, with, uh, with sharks. That is, yeah, I did not expect that. Wow. Uh, that no, <laughs> okay. Because no, no. it, it just never occurred to me that they'd actually, that that'd be enough to scare them. Because they're not tiny animals, let's be honest. Like, it's not... I'll ask you, how long can you go without, you know, taking another breath, I guess, underwater? Like, what, what's the timing there? That, that depends on, on the activity you do. Uh, if it, it depends on how much uh, uh, CO2 you produce um, through your activity. All right, um, so if, if you move around a lot, it's less, right? Because you're just... Cause you're, oh, okay. Yes, yes, ex exactly. That's how it is. So if I just lay in the water, I relax and then uh, prepare, do a breathing exercise and, and then hold my breath, I can do five, five and a half minutes. Oh, okay. Wow. If, <laughs> if I, mean, I dive to a reef that's at 20 meters then that dive time is a lot shorter, probably around two minutes. Now, if you sprint down and there's current and you have a big camera in your hands and you see a shark, then 
it's probably even less. So uh, it always depends on, on the activity, on the state of mind you're in, how relaxed you are. But um, pro probably when we dive with sharks, it's not longer than two, two and a half minutes underwater. Okay. It's still a lot. I mean, stay, I, I don't know how much I can go. And Jay, how much, what you got? What you think you got? I don't know. I, I could probably do a minute, but if I stay completely still, yeah. Because I found that out. Because yeah. if you move around, you're, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it just, because you consume too much energy and then the CO2. Lucas, to, to focus, for example, on, on great white sharks. Um, Which aren't the best sharks, right? I'm just going to say that. Why are, not, why are they not the best shark? Why are they not the best sharks? Because the hammerhead is the coolest shark there is. Oh, that is just a fact you guys are cool man yeah yeah hammerhead is the funniest <laughs> one but the white shark is no it's the coolest the, the coolest shark is the hammerhead shark come on you know your sharks Andre. well yeah well, i don't like i don't know all of the species right but when you look at them yeah, it's, yeah but you know what you know what's up the great hammerhead is my favorite for sure too oh, I, see see why 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 is it why is it just because the way it looks or behavior or like why is it your favorite uh, it's 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 everything it's great hammerheads are my favorite shark for several reasons uh first of all they they have this amazing anatomy this amazing hammerhead it's called cephalofoil um they have amazing fins these characteristic big long dorsal fins that look like like blades and they're they're super fast and they're super agile you know, they're probably one of the few sharks that can spin around on its own axis and bite their own tail. They're super fast. Oh, awesome. And um, it's, you know, it's it's all of these things combined. And and as well, if, if when, you, when you dive with great hammerheads, they're fairly big sharks. They can grow up to five and a half, six meters, I guess. And... They're really relaxed in the water. You can you can see a great hammerhead from the distance and it comes at you slowly and then you see it turns. 10 meters away from you, it turns and then it circles. That's It, it goes away. You don't see it for 15 minutes. And it tries to figure out what are you and, and feel your heartbeat and your presence because the shark doesn't want to get hurt. It's not about you know ambushing or hunting because the shark you know hammerheads they 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 they're a little bit shy and then they come closer and you can have really up close interactions and they come close as you know the eye of a hammerhead has been five centimeters away from my camera and and they're really relaxed to dive with you know when you dive with bull sharks or great whites because they they're more uh bigger sharks they hunt bigger prey it's, it's a little bit more challenging. You have to look more. You have to be a little bit more careful than with great hammerheads. And that's why I enjoy uh, this species, species so much. I mean, do you know the reason why is their head shaped like a hammer? Like why is there, what's the advantage of having eyes so far apart? Do you know in this species? Because I never, I mean, I don't understand that. Why is it? different than other other sharks you know what's the what's the, what's the advantage basically i'm trying to ask first of all the 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 first advantage the cephalofoil the hammerhead gives that shark is uh it's a lot easier for them to be agile and move around up and down they can do quicker turns because it's like a like a steering blade on a sail ship you know the bigger that that blade the the faster they can turn um, so they found that uh, the head shape actually enables them to be that agile and do quick turns. 
Um, and also they use this hammer um, to hunt uh, stingrays. So they'll swim around the bottom, the sandy bottom where their rays, you know, try to hide the stingrays in the Bahamas and then or other areas. But we, we saw them in the Bahamas. And then they, they go slowly around the, the sandy bottom and they have these sensors called Pius de, de Lorenzini and Pius de, de Lorenzini. And they can detect electro, electromagnetic fields and tensions in the uh, currents in, in animals. So when they go around the sandy bottom and they have this huge surface on the hammerhead, they can detect prey really well. And then what they do is they use the hammer form to flip around or knock out the the stingray and then eat it. So basically that head is, is for agility and hydrodynamics and also for uh, hunting hunting stingrays. And they found that was that was incredible. I saw um, a report the other day that they found a hammerhead that had uh, more than 20 stingray barbs stuck in its head from feeding on the stingrays. Wow. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Um, but are are they more? Would you say they're more dangerous or more aggressive towards humans than than, for example, white sharks? Or is that a stupid stupid, stupid question? <laughs> you know, I mean, is that a stupid question? Like, uh, I mean, is it possible to specify which which sharks are more dangerous for humans and which are less? Or is basically you know they're all the same? Or basically just depends on situations and how you behave towards them and so on and so on. They're all after bulky, basically. That's that's all we need to know. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is basically therapy. This is not a podcast. This is just bulky trying yeah, to work yeah, it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then then the the podcast is called Lucas Miller. Uh, explains what sharks are the most uh, dangerous killing machines on the planet. <laughs> I, <laughs> for sure, yeah. Uh, no, uh, you're right. It depends on it depends on situations, like everything in life. You know, when you when you, for example, when you play basketball, um, and somebody says, you know, who's the most difficult player to play against? It depends on the situation. It depends if it's an offense situation, a defense situation. It depends on the ball. It depends on your mood, the player's mood. Uh, has he an injury are you injured um, what's the strategy of the team so everything in life depends on a situation and I, I wouldn't say uh, sharks are dangerous from an objective objective standpoint when you look at when you look at the statistics you look at the numbers you look at you know how little people have to fear sharks when when they go into the ocean um, at the same time, you know, sharks are predators and so are lions and so are grizzly bears. And we tend to, when we go into grizzly bear country, when I was in, in Canada hiking and doing uh, grizzly bear watching and all that stuff, uh, everybody was, was taking precautions. You know, even people who have never been to, uh, you know, hiking or in the outdoors and even people who were experts in the outdoors, everybody took precautions and nobody was arrogant or disregarding the fact that you could run into a grizzly bear. Now, when we go into the ocean, we take for granted certain safety feelings, a certain comfortable feeling that nothing is going to happen. And people think that the beach, anywhere you go, be it in Australia, be it in Africa, or 
uh, in the US, in Europe, you think the beach, that's our area, that's human area, that's our surfing place, that's our kiteboarding and swimming area where we let our ch kids play in the, in, the, in the sea. And we forget that sharks, uh, it's, it's the sharks environment, it's their home, it's their sea. And that we have, you know, that we have to make a conscious decision when we use that space for our activity. Now, certainly, when we talk about diving with sharks, there's sharks that you can, that I would, you know, let beginner divers dive with and let them interact with sharks. And then, of course, there's certain shark species that I would rather say do not seek out the interaction. Don't go there and seek out active interactions with these animals. It's kind of like, um, let's say with bears uh, or wild cats. You know, when you go uh, to Canada, you know, there's black bears, there's, there's grizzly bears. Uh, if you go really far up north, then there's a polar bear. Now, If somebody asks you, um, you know, how do you interact with bears, you know, then that ranger would probably tell you, you know, there's a big, big difference between seeing a small black bear and seeing a giant polar bear and being aggressive towards it, for example. Uh, so certainly, you know, there's differences in certain uh, species. And I would say that Uh, I'd let beginner divers go dive with blue sharks or black tip reef sharks uh, with a safe, good operator, somebody who is really uh, sustainable and a good instructor in their business and their operation. And then, of course, there's uh, indiv individual sharks that, um, you know, for example, bull sharks or great whites or tiger sharks that... Uh, you have to have a certain experience in diving. You have to have a certain experience in um, seeing your environment. You have to have a good team. And, of course, a very good operator that with, with safety guidelines and, and sustainable operation to make sure that you do all this in a safe environment. Earlier, you, well, you mentioned, this, for example, being a surfer and being in the water. I don't know if you saw there was a clip, like maybe it came out a week or two ago, Maybe maybe more, but I saw it like a couple of weeks ago. It's pretty fresh. Like it was one is it was it was filmed live on TV while there was some surf competition going on. I believe it was in Australia, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It was in, uh, in South Africa, actually. South Africa. Yeah, when a when a when a shark attacked a surfer right during during competition. Uh, and luckily, you know, he wasn't hurt and he was fine, but you could tell that he was really, really the guy was really scared and shocked. And um <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. <laughs> obviously. But I mean, is is there a way? I mean, again, you guys are gonna laugh. I'm not asking this for my for myself because I'm not surfing. But but is is there something you can do if there if you see a shark nearby you? Like how do you how do you avoid getting attacked? How do you how do you get yourself out of this these situations? You know. Now in in this situation, it was it was one of those situations which. Um, You know, the video went viral. It was the, the surfer, I recall, was Mick Fanning. And they were uh, surfing in South Africa. And South Africa is home to one of the biggest population and, and density of white sharks on the planet. And so some of these surfers in South Africa, I'd say most of them, they accept a certain risk when they go into the water. And they have that in the back of their mind. Um, and... 
in this instance, you know, you could see the shark was definitely approaching uh, the surfer and there was a little bit of, of splashing of water. And was it was that a great white? Do you can you tell which shark was it? Yeah, that, that was that was a great white shark okay. for sure. Um, and I'd say this. Um, I don't like to 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 use the phrase attack, shark attack, mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. a very negative term. And actually what happens most of the time when uh, somebody, uh, you know, is approached by a great white shark or bitten by a great white is the shark lets go. You know, in this instance, nobody was bitten. But the reason I'm saying this is if you look at the the number of accidents or incidents that surfers, swimmers, or, or divers had with, for example, great white sharks, uh, in 99%, uh, the shark did not consume the person. It was just a simple bite. Now, if you get bitten by a 5-meter or 4-meter or 3-meter great white shark with sharp teeth, then obviously that small bite will leave a mark. It will leave, you know, an injury. And most of the time, people bleed out or or die in the hospital or in the process. Um, but the shark lets go. Because sharks, you know, they don't have hands, you know, to, to investigate an object. And especially if the visibility is not that good and the shark has problems identifying what that is, you know. And uh, m most of the time the shark ha is, has been watching the surfer or diver for a longer time. Then they just take a test bite to feel and, and, and check out what is this. Is this a seal? Is this a dead whale? Is this something I could eat? And then they realize, okay, this is not something I should eat. And they back off. Um, in this instance, you know, nobody was hurt. But I'd also, you know, in the conservation and, and pro-shark community, there's a lot of people who say, you know, the shark wasn't trying to bite him. He was just, you know, investigating. And sharks are, uh, you know, they're not out to kill people. Yes, they're not out to kill people, but they do bite humans from from time to time. Um, they're not to blame for it, but they're still predators. So we have to have, you know, a certain, we have to go this fine line between, you know, sharks are cute and cuddly animals and they're great. And we have to acknowledge that they're not cute, they're predators, but also they're not, you know, killing machines. Well, yeah, and like it should be said, like the, the, like the i guess the incidents are so that it's not even like if you just imagine all of the people that go in uh, like into the water at a beach somewhere in the world exactly it's basically like statistically negligible right i mean it's just exactly yeah, it doesn't even show up basically and and when i was when i was in, in south africa actually um i i've met uh scientists that study the movements of great whites in a place called dyer island in Hanspa. it's uh one of the hot spots for cage diving and you can see great whites anywhere um and actually in this area there's a couple of poachers and they they hunt abalone or collect abalone um and they you know these these uh poachers they swim from shore Uh, it's it's I think it's a five kilometer swim out to Dyer Island where there's a huge seal population and I think it's the most densely white shark populated waters on the planet and for the last I, I guess it was 10 years these poachers go out every day and swim back and forth between these islands and only I think five years ago there was one incident where one of these poachers was bitten by a shark 
So now imagine how often these poachers must have uh, encountered great white sharks and followed by great white sharks. And, uh, you know, sharks would have the opportunity to, to consume or, or bite or whatever uh, these divers a lot of, lot of times, but nothing happens. But obviously you don't see that in the news. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, obviously the news are going to, like we talked about earlier, point out and sensationalize when there's one attack per year, for example, does happen. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I asked, I asked earlier, and, and maybe there's no answer to that. I was just asking, like, is there a way if you see a shark, like, what do you do? Because like, they say, like, for example, I don't, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with this one too, like, they say, like, if you see a bear, just, like, stay still or, like, act dead <laughs> yeah, or, like, yeah. whatever, you know? I mean, is there, like, something you can do if there's a shark nearby and you're in the water or on a surf or, or whatever? Um, what I'd say, the best advice I think somebody should give you uh, or could give you is... Uh, take precaution measures. I mean, um, if you go into a car, you know, um, and somebody asks you, uh, what do I do when, you know, I'm about to have an accident on, on the highway? Then, you know, in, in driving school, they don't teach you, uh, you know, extreme situations how to you know when your car you know spins at 200 kilometers per hour and you jump around the road and your car explodes what do you do uh what they teach you is uh push the brakes and uh put on your buckle you know buckle up before you start driving yeah see it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fasten the seatbelt how to say you know when we take this comparison with the bears and the sharks is when i was in canada these rangers They told us, you know, if you go through the forest and you don't have uh, toothpaste or muffins or anything that smells good with you and you stick to the rules, you stick to the hiking paths and you shout every, you know, 15, 20 seconds, you shout, hey, bears, how's it going? We're coming. <laughs> so you let the bears know. Then, you know, most likely with a 99% chance, you won't encounter a bear. Uh, and that's how you avoid the situation. And with sharks, I, I tell you, um, look up the waters, you know, look, is there a population of sharks here? You know, and in South Africa, there's areas where you can probably very safely uh, dive without encountering shark. You can't reduce the risk to zero, but you can minimize it. And then there's certain areas where, you know, there's more sharks. Sorry, for example, earlier I said, oh, but in Adriatic Sea or Mediterranean, we don't have any bigger sharks. Well, but you said more than you would think. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are we trying to say by that? Like, I mean, even Adriatic, for example, is there like, I mean, there's always a risk of, of encountering a shark. But I, I'm guessing that there's obviously areas where the risk is much, much smaller than, for example, Australia or Hawaii or South Africa. And, you know, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I, I was just uh, messing with you, Boken. Um, okay. <laughs> I, uh, it, it, in the Mediterranean, there is great white sharks. I think it's one of the most international uh, and transoceanic species in terms of migration. And certainly, certainly the population of great whites in the Mediterranean has been reduced by a lot. And, you know, we know very little about that population. And... Um, No, but but what I was saying regarding the the risk, um, you know, inf inform yourself about the waters, and then when you do go into the ocean and you take that risk, um, I'd say take take a, a diving mask with you um, because 
what we uh, see with with sharks, even with great white sharks or, or uh, bull sharks or hammerhead sharks, when you establish eye contact and you let the animal know I'm here and I'm I'm confident and I'm not you know swimming away from you or splashing splashing around like prey, um, then the shark knows okay this is not prey this is not something um, I should. Uh, easily investigate and soon the shark will take distance and be more careful because uh, sharks you know they don't have a doctor they can when they're injured they can go to the hospital or doctor and fix their eye or fix their fin Um, so they have to be really careful when when approaching prey so let's say this when you go out to surf when you go out to swim take a pair take a dive mask with you and every now and then check the waters check whether uh, there's fish around you check whether there's sharks and then when you see a shark don't panic be be relaxed uh look at the shark establish eye contact and i guarantee you that most of the time the shark will either circle around you a couple of times check you out and leave or leave immediately you know there's a lot of videos coming up on YouTube right now uh, of uh, encounters with great white sharks in, for example, in Florida, because the population on the east coast of the United States has increased over the last years, luckily, um, where divers encounter a great white shark by accident. And in 99% of the time, the shark just cruises by uh, for a couple of seconds and then it leaves, you know. And other sharks, like reef sharks, etc., uh, they're way smaller. And most of the time, they're once you establish eye contact, they will leave and and leave you alone. All right. I hope I don't ever get in those situations. But <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the thanks for the advice. Uh, you really. should you should come out. You should you guys should uh, should come out. I I am all for it. I think yeah. I, I would really love to go. I would love to go. Like I I'm not promising that I would actually go in the water, but I would definitely go on a trip and. And watch you guys up close doing, doing what you're doing. And 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 earlier in, in the email when we were going back and forth, you mentioned about all the problems that are going on with sharks right now worldwide. Especially, you said that it's basically like a like a wild west right now out out in the open waters with with how they are killing sharks uh, millions, you know, a year or whatever. Can you talk more about that? Like, what kind of problem are we? Uh, is there going on and that we that people in general don't even know about you know that's that when it comes to to killing sharks every year yeah there's uh, it's it was to, to me it was heartbreaking when i first saw what's what was going on with the seas and how we overfish uh our oceans i was heartbroken um and most of people don't know this um there's you know uh, more and more people start to realize what's going on. They see documentaries. They see um, media. Uh, basically, what, what's what's happening with sharks is uh, there's some, something called shark fin soup, which is a delicacy in uh, in Asia, mainly in China. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen. I, actually, I was just in a, in, a, in a Chinese restaurant here in Slovenia a couple of days ago, and they had a shark fin soup. I was, I mean, I was like, Ugh. I mean, I didn't eat it. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, but that's the terrible thing because they just take the fin, right? Yes, exactly. I heard that they basically catch a shark, cut yes. away the fin, and they release the shark, which basically dies because it can't swim normally, normally again. It's not only like. Uh, 
it's it's a horrible scene you know if you see it uh it looks very very disturbing but also it's it's really unsustainable like if if you would uh for example imagine imagine a country would um take their sheep take their pigs uh take their cows and just cut off the legs and then throw the rest of the body the rest of the meat away just leave it dump it on the open field people would go crazy because we have a certain because we see it because it's happening on land it's happening right where we see it but because we, few people look below the ocean surface because many people have this fear like you have that natural fear and maybe also this this increased fear through the media that you do not want to go into the water because few people look underwater uh and because the ocean is so vast we don't uh immediately see what's happening and basically what happens is there's numbers that are being thrown around from 30 million sharks killed per year to 100 million maybe more Uh, nobody knows that is, that is unbelievable that's like mind blowing numbers i mean it is 30 million 100 million i mean do, do we know which nations like which countries are the worst at that i mean imagine i don't know asian countries african countries like how does yes the 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 most uh fins are consumed in china and hong kong mm -hmm. but also uh you know we in europe we tend to point at china and hong kong and other countries and and say uh you know raise our finger and be like you're such a bad guy you're killing sharks but most of the people don't know that um most of the sharks that are uh, shark fins that come from the atlantic go through spain uh, really and spain is one of the the major trading places on the planet for shark fins it's in the eu and um You know, over over the last years, pressure has been building up uh, on certain countries, but uh, it's it's not enough. It's there's still a lot a lot to be done to 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 ban shark fin trade. Yesterday, at uh, UPS, for example, announced that they won't ship uh, shark fins anymore uh, because there's certain campaigns, initiatives, NGOs, a lot of grassroots movements from divers and people who are passionate about sharks um that you know try to change something and and for sure uh, there has been a lot of progress over the last 10 20 30 years but still a lot of sharks are being fished unsustainably and populations have dropped by more than 90 percent in many many places well the, those i ho i really hope those those numbers go down because the way you like mentioned all these millions and millions like it's just it's just creepy you know to know that, that that's going on yeah and the and, and the uh, the crazy thing about it is um there's something called the high seas uh and most of most of the ocean's uh surface and and ocean body is not regulated so uh nations can fish whatever they want out of these waters and a lot of times you know there's there's poor african nations or south american nations which have really really amazing underwater ecosystems really amazing underwater scenery and f fish populations shark populations which are valuable a lot of money 
in terms of resources. They provide livelihoods to people. They're important in the culture. But because of the high seas, basically countries only um, regulate or can regulate and enforce their seas and their fishing um, regulations only a few miles out from the coast. So, um, you know, other countries, uh, let's say uh, both from China, from Malaysia, or from Spain, can go to these nations and uh, with a little bit of, you know, bribing and, and efforts, uh, they can simply wipe out entire uh, fish populations and eradicate entire ecosystems and ruin livelihoods for millions of people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the, the biggest crises in terms of environment that we have on the planet right now. Hugely underestimated. Uh, I just wanted to ask, like, the Waterman Project, because uh, when you guys, we didn't really talk about it, but when you guys free dive with the sharks, you tag them, right? Just what exactly do you tag the sharks with? Yeah, so the, the Waterman Project was started by uh, William Winram, and um, it was founded by William Winram and, uh, and his wife. And basically how it came along was that Frederick Boyle, uh, he's, a, he's an underwater photographer and a former freediving world record holder, um, and William Winram, and he's, he's basically my mentor and the current world record holder in, in freediving. Um, these guys started tagging sharks using their freediving skills. Because the problem oftentimes is um, that sharks, when you want to study sharks, they're in very remote locations. So you have to go out there, you have to bring all your equipment, and it's very difficult to approach certain sharks. And the, the traditional approach to tag a shark is you have, you throw out hook and line, you put some bait on it, you hook the shark and you fish it, you catch it and you, you pull it to the boat, you fix it and then you have uh, 20 minutes. Uh, most scientists try to, you know, uh, shorten and decrease the time they need for tagging. And then you can put a transmitter on the shark, you can take samples of the shark, uh, measurements and study the shark, you release it. Uh, the problem with that method is some species don't react to it very react to it very poorly. For example, the great hammerhead, 50% of the animals die when being tagged with a traditional tagging method, oh, okay. when they're caught with hook and line. And some species you can't even fish. You know, there's a species called uh, scalloped hammerhead. It's a, it's a very cool shark. And if you've seen those big schools of hammerheads, for example, in Cocos Island or the Galapagos, where there's hundreds of hammerheads, um, you know, diving or swimming amongst divers, most likely that's scalloped hammerheads. And this species, you can't, you can't catch it. They don't, they tend not to bite on hook and line. So scientists were looking for a method to, to tag sharks. And um, William and Fred basically, you know, uh, used their freediving ability to very quietly, without a lot of noise, without um, startling the animal, without scaring the animal, approach sharks and use a modified spear gun to place a transmitter on the shark and you can use these transmitters then to see where sharks are going for example we placed a satellite transmitter on a great hammerhead uh, a year ago year and a half ago in the bahamas and basically uh, what that showed us was 
that the hammerhead shark traveled from Bimini, an island in the Bahamas off Florida, all the way up to Virginia Beach, which is, uh, you know, uh, several, several uh, thousand kilometers. I think it's 1,200 kilometers, if not more. Wow. It traveled within 30 days. And which shows, you know, in the Bahamas, sharks are protected. Um, it's a shark sanctuary and the Bahamas try to protect their resource as best as possible because sharks generate millions of tourist money through shark diving in the Bahamas every year. But the shark travels to, to, to the U.S. So basically, as soon as the shark leaves the shark sanctuary of the Bahamas uh, and it's in U.S. waters, it can be fished by... Uh, sport fishermen for example they have to release it but as i said if you catch a great hammerhead and you release this chances are 50 50 it's gonna die and it's endangered uh, species so we can find out where sharks are going and increase our chances of protecting them because to be honest if i'm a fisherman uh, be it in mexico or the bahamas and and i have to earn a living for my family, I have to provide uh, money f and, and food for my kids and pay for their education money and, and just simply earn a living, then I'll do anything for it. And if some scientist or some conservationist or some freediver comes along uh, as a privileged person and they have education and all that knowledge comes along and tells me, okay, you can't fish for in this area for five months of the year in the entire country, then most likely that fisherman will say, well, I'm not able to earn a living that way, so I will break the law and continue fishing. But if you can approach these fishermen and explain them, uh, basically there's three or four reefs that are hotspots for a certain species of shark during a certain season of the year and and ask them and the government to protect and close down fisheries at specific areas for specific species at specific times of the year your chance of you know getting these fishermen to collaborate with you and getting governments to collaborate with you increases dramatically so that's basically why why we tag uh, sharks is to find out where they go and when they go there. And do you know which sharks might migrate the the long the biggest distances? Is there like one species that goes further than the other, like in general? Um, or, or you know, like for example, does does it actually like go from continent to continent as well? Yeah, there's there's certainly uh, several species that that are capable of doing that. Uh, great white sharks, for example, are a great example for that. There was a shark uh, named Nicole that was tagged by a scientist uh, called Michael Scholl um, in South Africa and his colleagues. And Nicole traveled to, from South Africa to Australia and back within, I guess it was uh, a little less than three months. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure I'm correct on that. I had to, I, I'd have to look that up. Still, the distance, that's the distance. Still, I mean, it's a goes, huge yeah. distance. Yeah. And there's, there's been other great whites that uh, do a migration from uh, the east coast of the, of the U.S., go all the way through the Atlantic. They, they pass by the Azores, the Azorean Islands. And then go back. There's great whites that we study in in the Pacific. They go from Mexico, an island in uh, off Baja California, 
and they travel uh, through an area called the offshore, um, uh, called the 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 sofa, um, where either they're feeding or um, mating. You know, there's still debate on what's going on there, but they do a huge migration. Some of them continue go out to Hawaii and then come back. So there's huge potential for transoceanic migrations, and I'm certain that there's many more species and many more populations in different parts of the area that do huge migrations that we have no clue yet that they're doing it so there's there's still a lot a lot of things undiscovered when it comes to when it comes to sharks and and, and everything connected to it yeah for, um, for sure well hopefully with people like you <laughs> will you and the people that that do similar job that you do that will will know more about it in the future I'm, i think it's a it's a super interesting species a super interesting animal uh that's like you said it's uh misunderstood in a lot of ways in in, in the time that we live now yeah thanks uh, thanks for for uh, having me by the way um because yeah no it's it's not only you know it's science is one thing and tagging animals and but it's also trying to engage the public and be it through podcast be it through radio or tv to engage people and let people know that uh you know what science is about and and not be all you know scientific about it explain it yeah in, in, a, in a in a very is a, how to say <laughs> i would say user-friendly uh way that's a pretty know, good for lack of a better yeah. word <laughs> yeah you know so, what i mean like so, so am i user-friendly <laughs> 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 yeah, you yeah, are for plan. sure. Yeah, I am okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the end, I just want to ask you, like, what's what's what are your goals? Like, what are you looking forward to? What are you trying to accomplish in 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 the line the line of work that you do? Man, um, I mean, is there a set goal, or you just go with it? Just go with the flow and just uh, you know live out the, the adventures that you're participating in, or is there some goals that you want to achieve when you're you know? 40 50 60 whatever you know man um that's a good that's a really good question um i do have projects in mind there's certain projects i want to do um and i do want to keep on studying science maybe do a phd etc but i really really love what i do at the moment um and the Waterman Project, you know, as, as a really hands-on organization and, and doing expeditions and not be so theoretical about it, but, you know, be in the field and doing actual real work and science and reaching out to people and, you know, being able to share it with people like you and all over the world is, is a huge blessing. And I love my, my job. I, I get to work with, with some of the best if not the best uh, freediving athletes and ocean explorers on the planet I get to learn from. So um, I certainly I will go with the flow. I will keep on doing what I do. And then uh, if there's this, a huge project I want to do, I will, I will pursue that. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe in, in five years we'll, we'll hang out again on a podcast. And I don't know, maybe I'm a butterfly scientist, as you said. <laughs> we'll see. The way, the way you talk about sharks, I highly doubt it, but <laughs> we'll see. But I, I'll definitely love to talk, you, talk to you about in, in, a, in a few years and, and see where the project has, has gone, has, you know, where, where it's gone and uh, where you are and what you're doing. And uh, I'll definitely be listening to the Joe Rogan podcast when you're, when you're a yeah, guest over sure. there. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking I hope forward that works that. out. Um, yeah, and um, if, if you guys ever want to do uh, a shark dive, if you ever want to come on expedition, you're uh, highly appreciated. And 
Oh, Which... I'm gonna pester Boki to do that. Like, you, you, you have my word. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep reminding him that that's an option. Like, <laughs> well, well, we'll, we'll, Lucas, we'll keep in touch. And uh, once, once I get enough, once I get a, once I grow balls big enough, like they say, we'll, we'll join in one of those expeditions. But I'd love to do it. No, seriously, I would love to do it. Yeah, for sure, um, because it's not only. You know, it's not only the diving part. When people come on expedition with us and we always welcome people that are interested who do not have a science background or a freediving background to join us on expedition and um, take a look at the science. And instead of doing a diving safari and spend the money on a typical, you know, dive boat, they get to... You know, they get to prepare the tags with us. They get to see the tagging and they get to, you know, reconnect and re-engage with science and and all that. So if you guys come, you'll see the tags, you see you see everything and you'll learn all, all about butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> Just one question. You, you don't have one of those huge steel cages, do you? I mean, uh, I would, we do. We that, do. Either, um, okay, maybe that uh, would work. <laughs> what we go. what we do with the white sharks for sure is, and I I, I always like to mention, or I have to mention it uh, for my own conscience is um, when we go to Guadalupe Island, where you have the biggest great whites on the on the planet. I think um, there's cage diving is an industry there and it's a really important industry because it allows people to see great white sharks from a cage from a safe environment without uh, the risk of something happening because a diver makes a mistake or is uneducated or there's a certain difficult situation and maybe you know somebody films it the footage comes out and then you'll have millions of millions of clips like with the mick fanning video of a shark being depicted as uh, something that it's not, maybe a killing machine. Um, we always, for people that join our expeditions, um, have people in the cage. Um, there's that trend that at certain locations in Guadalupe and other areas, people want to go outside the cage and want to touch great whites, want to cuddle them, want to have a photo with a great white. Um, and... I, I personally uh, am not a fan of that when it comes to media coverage, etc. Um, we have scientific, and I and I always mention that is we have scientific permits to do this. We work together with the Mexican government, with the local biosphere management, have a good relationship with them, and we make sure that everything we do is in line with you know certain ethical standards, safety standards, and make sure that there's no risk for the animal and that we abide by the law and we see that oftentimes that people have this overcompensation from you know sharks are depicted as killers so to change that paradigm we have to cuddle them we have to touch them we have to ride them and without saying names or going to the whole politics i'm saying is uh you know if you want to do something good for sharks um then you know it's good enough to do a cage dive. It's good enough to uh, maybe dive with a blue shark first and then work your way up. But please don't go somewhere for a Facebook picture or a Twitter picture and risk um, for some bad media to be produced in the process and maybe even worsen the image of, of, of a shark. No, if, if, uh, 
if we decide to do it, we'll definitely go with people that know how to do it. And I think you would be our first choice. Oh, so. we, we, I am. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I'm just going to keep reminding yeah, I'm you. Sold. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Boken, you'll, you'll go outside the cage with us, dressed, dressed as a seal, and we'll, we'll film, film the whole thing. Uh, I, I just go to see Boki dressed oh as a God. seal. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, no, yeah. That's enough. <laughs> like, I went to one of those, like, water worlds places a couple of months ago with my kids to see to see uh to see dolphins and i fucking felt horrible about it like the way they are kept in there i don't even know like if they switch them back and forth like bring new ones in and release them or how does that work but it's so horrible to be like um to be like captured in this small area and i saw like this photo of this one water world like in the states somewhere i guess in florida where it showed a comparison to like the parking lot around them which was like miles and miles and miles and then the pool where those dolphins live was like super small compared to the parking and you would like thinking to yourself like even the freaking parking is like 100 times bigger than where this yeah. these uh these dolphins are kept you know yeah. so but yeah it definitely wasn't enjoyable for me but i think like zoos and all these things is definitely good education education tool to say so for kids but other than that like i i, I hate going to zoos and, and and all these things because i just get depressed by by being there you know yeah i mean zoos and and aquariums and certainly uh you know sea world is a very very touchy uh topic and I've just been, uh, two days ago, I was filming with a camera team here, um, did a couple of interviews about sharks, and we went to Sea Life, which is like a chain in, in, in Germany of aquariums where they have uh, sharks. They don't have mammals. Um, and, you know, whenever I go to an aquarium um, or a zoo, I think they do have a role in you know showing people the animals showing people what's out there and for me you know i spent many many days of the summer in aquariums uh to look at sharks and to be fascinated by them um and i think a lot of people why they care about certain animals because they they've seen them in the zoo but obviously there's there's certain species you can't ethically cage in and and let live on a few square meters uh, from you know apes like orangutans or killer whales. You know you you just you just can't if you want the animal to have a good life. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's really bad. And I had like a super bad experience when I, I played in Russia one season. Actually, I was like a half a season. I was in Kazan in Russia. And they actually, believe it or not, they had like a zoo there, even though like I don't even know how these animals survive in the winter, for example, because the winter is super cold over there. But the zoo I went to, I, I even stay, still have some photos on my old phone about it. Like I tweeted about it at the time and obviously not expecting that anything would change but I, I just try to let like at least my friends who are like following me on twitter and people know what's going on like the the the, the conditions that the for example they had bear bears and lions and and you know some of the mammals there the condition that those animals lived in i think the people who are keeping there they should be like they should be going to prison because i have never seen yeah. anything worse than that like basically a bear like a big bear living on like a I would say not more than like four or five square meters cage on a sun on like a concrete, um, concrete bottom, you know, basically no roof, no nothing. 
and 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 just standing there and just just laying there like not even moving like when i took my kids there like we left after like 15 minutes because i was like i'm not even gonna like show my kids like just to basically have dead um bear living there on like being tortured like that it's horrible and those are the things that are like you know making me like depressed because if i if you go to a zoo and you see like the animals are really well taken care of and they're an educational tool and young people can live for um, learn by from it and so on and so on i can kind kind of understand it but other than that i really don't yeah you don't see a point you know it's just making profit for some people oh you should see you should see blackfish then what is that that is a, the most depressing documentary about uh, aquariums. I don't know. I have to check that out. Actually, I don't know if I want to. You have? No, you should. Like it's 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 a great documentary, but it's it's a little depressing. It's about the orca whales in uh, Sea World. It's just yeah. Really? Lucas, you know about this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen it, um, and it's it it certainly has uh it's it's drawbacks as let's say an objective documentary but it really gives a good insight into um what can happen if you cage in a, a, an extremely intelligent mammal like a killer whale what will happen to them and basically what happens is as Andrzej can can confirm is yeah. you know um, <laughs> yeah. that that train, trainers at SeaWorld uh, were killed by yeah but they're not really trainers that's the whole point like well they are but not all of them yeah like I was just surprised at the just lack of sort of at least that's how it is in the documentary I was just surprised at the sort of lack of expertise in those places you yeah. just kind of assume everybody there knows what they're doing and clearly not everybody does right i don't want to generalize yeah, too much yeah. but yeah it was kind of weird no it's it's a it's a depressing documentary but it also it gives uh, it, it was really successful and i think it put yeah some um, pressure on the uh yeah, yeah on yeah. the aquariums yeah book you should definitely watch that <laughs> no i'll check i'll check it out what did you say it's called blackfish yeah blackfish and um with with sharks it's different it's um, if you interact with, uh, let's say, a killer whale or a whale, certainly you will have a chance of an interaction. But most of the time, dolphins, you know, they see you. When we were in Mexico in Revilla Gijeros, um, you know, I saw a dolphin, a pot of dolphins. They checked me out. Then they, you know, circled me twice and I tried to interact with them and they realized fuck man this this guy is 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 crippled this guy he can't even be as fast as us he's not fun diving with us he's just sitting there with his stupid camera um so they realize how incapable of uh diving you are you know and even you know free diving athletes the best of the world you know, can't match the speed and agility and underwater intelligence that a dolphin has. So most of the time they just see you, check you out, take off. With sharks, it's different because they, they're evolutionary. You know, they've been around for millions of years, hundreds, hundreds of millions of years. I think 100 million years. Great whites have been around for 70 million years. So, you know, they... They're, I'd say they're more primitive in terms of uh, how they investigate food. I'd, I'd say dolphins are a lot more intelligent and they check, 
you out and they know in an instant you're not food, you're not prey. But sharks, you know, they, I'd say they're not <laughs> that intelligent as a dolphin, so they'll check you out. And that's why it's so amazing to have, in, in, you know, to have a great white shark or tiger shark or a hammerhead shark or even a black tip shark swim past you and investigate you because you can feel that there's a certain part of the interaction that you control, you know, by your body movement, by your language. And there's a certain part that the shark controls. And with, with mammals, it's just, you know, either the whale or dolphin decides it, it, you're fun or not. I, I guess it's like with men and women, you know, either the woman decides you're fun or not. <laughs> All right, and 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 on that note, let's uh, let's let's wrap it up, uh, Lucas. I I can't thank you enough, man. This was an awful yeah, conversation, thanks, man. man. Like, uh, and I hope some of the listeners are gonna agree. But to me, like, you really opened up my eyes about sharks, and uh, uh, I'm not I'm not bullshitting. Like, I do feel feel better about it. Like, finally, I had the chance to talk to about it, somebody to explain me more about it and to to make me understand the, those animals and those species a little bit differently and uh, i can't thank you enough for taking your time yeah thanks thanks a lot for uh for uh, having me and um no I, I appreciate it i was really uh i was a bit nervous uh to be honest to do the podcast because in, in tv or radio you can always you know edit something and it's it's a little bit filtered you have takes and um I enjoyed this and hopefully at some point we can do it again and uh, and hopefully I was a worthy worthy guest of your podcast. Oh yeah, no doubt. We we'd love to do it again and uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, best of luck like in your in your adventures. I'll I'll, I'll follow it uh, as it goes along and uh, maybe in a couple of years when when you have a lot more experience and and you go through through some interesting things we can we can catch up again i'd love to talk about it again you know and now nah, we'll, we'll catch catch up on on expedition when you wear that seal suit absolutely yeah Both nah. suit. that's it <laughs> that's the goal um for the end Anjad, do we have some uh, some things admi- administrative things you want to say like oh yeah so oh. the podcast is at the details podcast.com you can also find us in itunes if you give us a, a rating there that'd be awesome and uh, that's pretty much it. And yeah, Lucas, uh, what, what's your Twitter handle so people can follow you if they want? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Lucas Waterman. Um, you can also follow uh, the Waterman Project at Waterman Project. Uh, William Winram, that's at William Winram and at Fred Boyle. So you can follow the whole team and we'll post uh you know pictures of great white sharks and videos and free diving uh regularly and you can enjoy that okay boki your twitter at boki nachbar yeah and i'm atomic xx we're gonna yeah. by the way i have instagram right now so oh yeah you have yeah boki's on instagram now i just started with it so we'll see how it goes lucas you're also on instagram instagram right uh yeah same uh at lucas waterman and um i'll, I'll add you up I saw you have some cool photos on it, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'll follow you um, for sure. All right. <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, thanks thanks for listening. This was uh, another episode of the Details Podcast. Um, Andre, anything else we forgot? or I think that's it. Can we wrap yeah, it up? That's, that's it. it. All right. Lucas, thanks again. Okay, cheers, guys. Bye. All right, all right bye-bye.